On Saturday, April 26th, 1986, the world was given a glimpse of just what humanity's flirtation with the atom could lead to when the number four reactor at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant melted down. It remains the largest nuclear disaster in history, being rated at a seven, the highest number on the International Nuclear Event Scale, or INES. Such was the shock and the horror of Chernobyl that perhaps, with the exception of the Fukushima accident in 2011, the disaster in 1986 has largely overshadowed the many other nuclear accidents that have occurred. In the 70 plus years, mankind has harnessed the atom to expand its dominion over this planet. Here we are going to look at just five incidents that have had political, scientific, military, and life-affecting consequences. Windscale. Despite being significantly involved in the Manhattan Project that created the world's first atomic bomb, the UK and other allied countries found themselves locked out of the US nuclear energy program after the war, as the US sought to establish a monopoly on this powerful new field in physics. However, the Americans couldn't retain the information learned by the British scientists during the project, and after the war, they returned to their home country kickstart Britain's own nuclear weapons and energy programs. As part of that program, a new facility was constructed at Sellafield in Cumbria, England. This immense complex included two air-cooled graphite-moderated nuclear reactors, whose purpose was to produce weapons-grade plutonium for the British nuclear weapons program. The reactors were constructed between 1950 and 1951, and were expected to function until 1956. However, that deadline was extended, such was the need for them, and they were still operational in October 1957, despite concerns being raised in some scientific circles over their safety. Such was the high priority of the program, politicians and military leaders chose to ignore the experts' warnings with near-catastrophic results. On October 7, 1957, workers on the number one reactor were carrying out a routine procedure on the reactor's graphite core known as annealing, which is a heat treatment process used mostly to increase the ductility and reduce the hardness of a material. Due to faulty temperature readings, the workers believed the process had not been completed and so withdrew the control rods to try again. However, in doing so, the nuclear fission process was allowed to restart, resulting in the graphite core's temperature soaring, starting a fire which soon began to burn the surrounding uranium. Unfortunately, it would not be until October 10th before the staff at the plant realized just how serious the situation was. After workers in protective gear observed the damage that had been done and the fire that was raging, the deputy general manager of the site, Tom Tuohy, was left with an agonizing choice of what to do. On the one hand, he could let the fire burn itself out, but this would likely spread huge amounts of radiation over hundreds of miles of countryside. On the other hand, if he poured water into the fire to put it out, with all the nuclear material ablaze in front of him and his team, the reaction could potentially produce a nuclear explosion. With no other options, he decided they were going to have to try and fight the fire. One can only imagine how Tom Tuohy must have felt during the firefighting effort, knowing it could result in a nuclear explosion, for not only would he and his men be killed, but his family lived less than a mile away and so would be killed also. Through a careful combination of using water and starving the fire of fresh oxygen that was fueling it, the fire was eventually brought under control 
However, Tom's heroic efforts to save the facility and countless lives in the surrounding area would go unappreciated by the British government under Harold Macmillan. The accident couldn't have come at a worse time for Macmillan, who was negotiating with the Americans for Britain to become an equal partner in the nuclear game, allowing them access to America's more advanced technologies. And so rather than blame British nuclear engineering for the incident, his government blamed the workers at the facility and then covered up as much of the affair as he could. It would not be until a 1989 inquiry into the event that Tom and his people were exonerated. The incident at Windscale remains one of the most dangerous nuclear incidents in the West, being rated as a 5 out of 7 on the INES scale. It's been speculated that as many as 240 more cancer cases than would otherwise be expected that occurred in the surrounding areas can be attributed to the incident. The Lenin Conspiracy the Cold War was a conflict of secrets and lies. Misinformation aimed at one's own enemies did more than just save national pride when things went wrong. It also helped convince them that your technology was superior, even when this was far from the case. As we have already seen, the Soviet Union was adept at keeping secrets of some of their mistakes. And even today, it is suspected that we do not know the whole story of nuclear disasters that occurred on the eastern side of the Iron Curtain. Typifying this is the story of the nuclear-powered icebreaker Lenin, and it's one, or maybe two, nuclear accidents. The Soviet Union had long had a need for icebreakers that could clear a path for ships to enter its northernmost ports during the brutal Arctic winters, when ice patches could quickly build up and strand vessels in port or out at sea. These powerful ships were something of a symbol of the spirit of the Soviet people, who viewed themselves as tougher than their Western counterparts because of the harsh climate in which they lived, and how they were using technology to finally tame that climate. Therefore, it was somewhat fitting that when the Soviets began looking at building the first civilian nuclear-powered ship in the world, it would be an icebreaker. Dubbed the Lenin after the communist leader of the Russian Revolution, which birthed the Soviet Union, the 16,000-ton vessel went into service in 1959, clearing ice patches in and around Murmansk and helping to keep the northern sea lanes open. Despite the high cost of the vessel compared to conventional icebreakers, nuclear power proved extremely advantageous for the Soviets, as it gave the Lenin almost unlimited range, allowing it to stay at sea as long as its food and fresh water supplies permitted. Because of the risk of the vessel suffering a breakdown and it becoming stuck in the ice itself, something that would have been hugely embarrassing, the vessel's power plant consisted of three OK-15090 megawatt reactors, two of which would be running at any one time, while the third would be held in backup. For perspective, just one of these reactors could power roughly 14,760 American homes. Now it's at this point that things get a little vague, and at times contradictory, depending on the source. What is known is that after five years of operating, things started to go wrong aboard the Lenin. In February 1965, after it had been shut down for refueling, the coolant was removed from the number two reactor. However, the spent fuel that it cooled during normal operation was still inside. As a result, around 124 of the fuel assemblies, around 60% had melted and deformed in the reactor, trapping them inside the core. 
It was therefore decided to remove the fuel, control grid, and control rods as a unit for disposal. These being placed in a special cask, solidified, and then two years later dumped in Tsvolki Bay in 1967. Less than two years after that one, a second more serious incident reportedly occurred aboard the Lenin, when in 1967, following the loading of fresh nuclear fuel, a pipe sprung a leak, causing cooling liquid to seep out into the reactor compartment. Needing to locate the leak quickly, it was necessary for the crew to break open the shielding surrounding the reactor, which was made of concrete mixed with metal shavings, using sledgehammers. Just how much radiation escaped from the reactor following the breaking of the shielding is unknown, as is the number of casualties that resulted and the environmental impact. The Soviets were quick to cover up the incident, and consequently reports of it in the West were confused, leading some to think that two separate accidents were one larger, ongoing incident, although this is now not deemed to be the case. While the Soviets never released figures, it's often cited that somewhere between 27 and 30 crew members would die following this high-level exposure to the reactor. The Lenin's three reactors were later replaced by two more modern and powerful ones, and it served in its vital role until 1989, as the Soviet Union found itself on the eve of collapse. It is now a museum ship moored in Murmansk, where visitors can explore its fascinating history, or at least part of it, for who really knows how many ghosts lurk within its hull. Three Mile Island In the 1970s, the United States was forced to reevaluate its squandering of fossil fuels to power the country's vast industries and densely populated cities. War and political instability in the Middle East threatened the flow of cheap oil, leading to an almost crippling energy crisis. At the same time, America was still expanding the commercialization of nuclear energy, and new nuclear power stations were appearing across the continental United States. With their almost limitless energy potential, they seemed to offer the solution to powering American cities and industries, and the future for new power station construction looked bright. On one of the new power stations, construction at this time was the Three Mile Islands plant at Middletown, Pennsylvania, which began operating its first pressurized reactor in 1974, followed by the addition of a second in 1979. At 4am on March 28, 1979, a cooling circuit malfunctioned, leading to the heating of the coolant tanks, preventing increasing pressure throughout the system. Emergency procedures were initiated, with the reactor being shut down immediately, and the opening of a release valve, which allowed enough coolant to escape to reduce pressure and heat within the system. However, it would be this valve that would ultimately cause the incident that was to follow. The valve became stuck in the open position, and as a result, all the coolant was released. To make matters worse, there wasn't any instrumentation in the control room that could have alerted engineers that this had happened. Instead, as they filled the tank with new coolant, they became convinced that there was too much in the system, so they reduced the flow. The remaining coolant turned to steam, and this led to the fuel rods overheating and melting the protective coating, which released radioactive material into the coolant system, which was then ejected into the surrounding area. Homes around the plant were evacuated, and the cleanup process for Reactor 2 would take 12 years and $973 million to decontaminate fully. 
While there were no official fatalities, numerous lawsuits have been brought against the plant's owners, concerning an increase in cancer cases among workers and the people in the immediate area as a result of the incident. However, probably the most damage the incident did was to shake American confidence in nuclear energy, especially after Chernobyl seven years later revealed just what could have happened that day in 1979. While the nuclear power stations that were under construction at the time were completed, no new ones were approved for over 30 years, and proponents of nuclear energy have claimed that this is why the United States has such relatively high carbon emissions figures, because of the reliance of fossil fuel power stations. Castle Bravo as part of its effort to maintain its lead on the Soviet Union in the nuclear arms race, in 1954, the United States undertook Operation Castle, which aimed to test ever more devastating nuclear weapons that were proved to the Soviets that if war ever came, then the United States could annihilate them. On March 1st, 1954, the US detonated their largest nuclear weapon yet, a thermonuclear bomb that they estimated would have a six megaton yield or the equivalent of 400 of the little boy bombs dropped on Hiroshima that killed 66,000 people and seriously injured a further 69,000. The devastating weapon was mounted on an artificial island built on a reef off Namu Island in the Bikini Atoll and was surrounded by a wide array of diagnostic instruments and high-speed cameras trained through an arc of mirror towers around it. The US wanted to record every aspect of the detonation at 0645 hours, the natural sunrise was overpowered by an artificial one as the bomb detonated and right away the scientists and military commanders knew that something wasn't quite right. The blast of the thermonuclear device was far greater than they had anticipated. In fact, measuring in at 15 megatons, it was 2.5 times the size they had anticipated and planned for, and was the most powerful artificial explosion in history up to that time. The reason for the greater yield was determined to be a result of unexpected reactions in the lithium-7 used in the bomb's creation. For military planners, there was a positive in that they now possessed such an earth-shattering weapon, far beyond anything the Soviet Union could produce at the time. But for the local populations in and around the atoll, the results of the test were devastating, as all the safety precautions were tailored for a six megaton blast and were thus insufficient. Radioactive fallout in the form of burned surface coral rained down on the populations of the nearby Rongerik and Uterik atolls, leading to a radiation sickness and an emergency evacuation within 48 hours of the blast. Over the coming decades, the tests would continue to inflict pain and suffering on the peoples of the atolls and the surrounding Marshall Islands. Thyroid tumors took hold in statistically larger numbers than before, particularly concerning those who were alive during the test as did the number of birth defects. The communities also suffered from the loss of many of their fish stock, which had either disappeared or were found suffering from diseases and were inedible. Two vessels at sea were also doused in the fallout. The US Navy tanker, USS Patapsco, found itself in the path of the fallout clouds and lacking decontamination equipment, was ordered to sail to the safety of Pearl Harbor. Unfortunately for the crew of the tanker, the engines suffered a breakdown, leaving them exposed to the fallout, 
despite being over 560 miles from the detonation. After arriving at Pearl Harbor, measurements were taken of the radioactivity, which were found to be higher than normal, but still relatively safe. Not as fortunate were the crew of the Japanese fishing boat, Lucky Dragon No. 5, with 23 men on board. Several hours after the detonation, the vessel was sailing well outside the established control zone for the test, not knowing this was now insufficient when fine white ash began raining down on it and its crew. The ash was composed of irradiated coral and soon began to cover the fishing boat to such an extent that the crew began gathering it up in piles in their hands and tossing it overboard. Very soon the men began succumbing to severe radiation sickness while their eyes turned blood red and began leaking a sticky mucus. By the time they returned to port, painful blisters had appeared on their bodies and they were quickly admitted to hospital for treatment. But it was not soon enough for the crewman, Kaboyama Aikichi, who died on September 23rd. Japan immediately condemned the test, as did a number of other countries such as India and Australia, both of whom recorded radioactive fallout from the test landing in their territory. There were even minute traces found as far away as Europe and North America. To this day, Castle Bravo remains the most powerful American weapon test in history. As with many nuclear incidents, it's difficult to establish just how many lives have been, and in some cases continue to be affected by the test. The Kishtam Explosion In 1958, Western media began to receive reports ticking in from sources within the Soviet Union of a nuclear incident having occurred somewhere in the Ural Mountains, but without any official corroboration from either the Soviet Union or Western intelligence agencies. The story simply faded into obscurity. That was until nearly 20 years later, when Soviet scientist Suarez Medvedev who had been stripped of his citizenship because of his anti-Soviet writings, published a paper in London outlining a serious nuclear incident at the Mayak nuclear fuel processing plant near the town of Kishtim on the eastern slope of the Ural Mountains. The Soviets dismissed the reports as propaganda fabricated by a disillusioned ex-Soviet dissident working for the West. And so, he and others began a search for evidence of the event and the result was horrifying. Upon closer inspection of the history of the site, it was clear that the Kishtam disaster was a tragedy in the making, even if the explosion hadn't even occurred. As the Soviet nuclear program began, Soviet understanding of radioactivity and its impacts on people was rather limited. And so, like in other industries of the time, discarded radioactive waste was dumped into the Tekka River, where it was believed it would be dissolved or dispersed to such an extent where it was safe. This of course was not the case. The rural populations in the surrounding areas and along the river Obi, which the Tekka joined downstream, continued to use the contaminated water for drinking and cleaning. As a result, it's estimated that up to 124,000 people were exposed to varying levels of radiation that affected their health. Then on September 29th, 1957, a storage building at the facility was rocked by an explosion after the cooling system for a quantity of radioactive waste malfunctioned, thus increasing the temperature of the waste significantly. This produced a chemical, as opposed to nuclear, explosion that punched through the concrete barrier surrounding the site, sending radioactive waste hurtling through the air. 
In terms of radioactive particles released, the explosion is second only to Chernobyl, measuring as a 6 on the INES scale. Over 10,000 people had to be evacuated as a cloud of hot radioactive particles spread outward, being carried by a northeasterly wind, but it's suspected that as many as 270,000 people came into some contact with it. Efforts to put a number on just how many people died as a result of the disaster have been rather difficult. On the one hand, no one at the facility was hurt in the explosion, but various sources state that due to the exposure to radioactive particles released into the atmosphere, some 8,000 people developed cancers, which they otherwise wouldn't have, although there is no solid evidence to support this. The true number could be both lower and of course much, much higher. But perhaps the truly frightening thing about the Kushtum disaster was just how effective the Soviet cover-up was. Were it not for Medvedev, it is likely that it would have been another 50 to 20 years before the West became fully aware of the incident after the Soviet Union collapsed. This begs the question, are there more incidents that have been so well covered up that we still do not know they occurred? So that's it for this video. We hope you've enjoyed, and as always, we'll see you in the next one.